So stories are powerful, right? Stories are a way that we can convey emotions, and they have the power to grip our attention. Tori's going to come up this morning and tell us a story. It's one of my favorite stories that she uh, tells, and this will show you a lot about my personality. (laughs) Good morning. So um, we had something happen a few weeks ago, or or a couple months ago now. Um, If you don't, some of, a lot of you already know, but some of you don't, that um, I work um, three days a week, and I keep two little boys. I've had them since, um, the first one was seven weeks old, and he's three, almost four now, and um, the other one, I've had him since he was born, his brother. So anyway, um, they're really precious to me, and uh, they come to my house every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or I'm sorry, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So one day, we play outside all the time. They're two boys. The more they're outside, the better. So we were playing outside, and it was a beautiful day, and uh, we live right in Nutter Fort, right in the middle of the city, but there are a tiny bit of woods over by us. So we're sitting there watching, and all of a sudden, we see this rabbit come out and sit right at the edge of our street, and we don't live on a busy street. And so I said, oh, my word, Grayson, look, look over there, there's a rabbit. I start freaking out and um, like my dramatic way. And I'm pointing out this adorable rabbit, and they're so excited they get to see this precious little rabbit. And we watch it eat for a while. And then all of a sudden, a truck comes down the road. And now when I'm talking about this rabbit is probably, um, I'm going to say from me to Dennis. And so we're watching this rabbit, and a truck comes down the road. He's not speeding. Most of the people on our road know we have tons of kids on our road, so they go slowly. So he starts going down the road and coming down, and I'm watching this rabbit. The boys are staring at this rabbit. We're intense on this rabbit. It's so cute, like we want to make it our pet. And right as the truck goes by, the rabbit gets spooked and jumps right in front of the truck. And me and a two-year-old and a three-year-old watch this rabbit fly into the air after it gets hit by the truck. Its guts go everywhere. And we watch it fall back to the ground. And these two little babies' eyes are this big. And Grayson looks at me and says, is it dead? And I was like, I don't know. So I thought I saw it twitching. And so I'm texting Phil. He was in the house. I text him and said, you have to come kill this rabbit. You have to, like, put it out of its misery. So thankfully, he was busy and he couldn't come outside. Thankfully, our neighbor across the street came out right after it happened and uh, came over and got his shovel and took it away. It was very dead. There was no way it was alive. But um, that was their first ever experience with an adorable little rabbit. <laughs> yeah, and it's their first experience with learning about death, and you yes. had to teach them all about that that day. Yes. So then for the rest of the day, Grayson kept saying, where'd that rabbit go? And I said, well, he went to heaven. He said, in his trash can? <laughs> so now he thinks heaven's in a trash can. <laughs> oh, man. So, stories have the power to grip our attention, right? We can visualize those things for good and for bad, uh, these things happening. Well, the Bible is the greatest story ever told. 
We have this amazing story, and if we would allow it to grip our attention, it can change us. Now, not every part of, the sto- uh, of this story, uh, every chapter in the Bible is the most riveting thing we've ever read. Some chapters are just lists of names, right? But those names are important, and they give validity to this history book that we have. It gives us a timeline to deal with. But the overarching story is the most beautiful story ever. God's story is important to us because our story is intertwined to his story. We have this hero, which is God. We've got a villain, which is Satan and sin. There's love, which is the plot. God's relentless pursuit of a relationship with us. There's the background, which is this perfect world that God created. There's the conflict and the tension, which is the crisis that sin caused and the effects on this world and man's tendency to choose his way over God's way over and over again. And then there's the plan to save the world, and his name is Jesus. When we last left off, we saw this long period of silence, 400 years between Malachi and the Gospels, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But then comes this turning point. Everything changes. Sin and Satan looked like they had won, and God's people were scattered far from him, following their own flesh, doing things their way, and feeling the shame and guilt and consequences of making wrong decisions over and over again. And it looked like there was going to be no happy ending here. But then, God himself gets off the throne of heaven. An equal person in the Godhead, Jesus takes matters into his own hands. This next act in this story bursts open with what we call the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. Different authors with different personalities inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down their stories of what they saw Jesus do and what they saw Jesus say. These are actual documented stories written during the time of when thousands of people that were touched by the life of Jesus were still alive and able to verify the facts that were written down. And here's how the beginning of the Gospel of John starts his account on the life of Jesus. See if it sounds familiar in John, John, uh, John, John, John 1, 1. See if this sounds familiar. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hey, remember how Genesis tells us where we came from and who made us? Well, Jesus was there too. He is the word. The word broke the silence. He is God's will articulated to the world. God's literal voice spelled out for us and acted out for us with hands and feet and a voice. Jesus is God and God got off his throne to put this international rescue plan into action. Jesus is God spoken to this world. Jesus is God's sermon to this world. The word became flesh. Jesus was there in the beginning. That's why back in the beginning, uh, it says in Genesis, let us 
make man in our own image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all at work together, the Trinity in this beautiful dance that doesn't make any sense to us, but we believe. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John points us back to the beginning of the story, tying the story of Jesus back to our introduction to God. And everybody knows what happens next, right? Christmas, away in the manger, it came upon a midnight clear. But Jesus didn't come as a political figure. He didn't come as a famous cultural icon. He came to live life just like we do. And it started with a miraculous pregnancy, the beginning of human life. An angel appeared, a virgin conceived, a star in the sky, a birth, not in a palace, but in a barn. The bread of life laid in a feeding trough. And God in the flesh arrives on the scene in the very town that the Old Testament said that he would be born in. And his name would be called Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. And this is how God broke the silence. John 1:14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel, God with us. Next, John tells us about a new character, John the Baptist, the one that would announce the prophecies of the Old Testament were being fulfilled. The Messiah was here. And John is a confusing name in the Bible because in the New Testament, there are many, many Johns. It's kind of like Noah. When we uh, first had Noah, uh, we named him this name that we didn't know anybody else was going to name their children. But now there's tons of Noahs. Noah's uh, they've got him, had him in his different classes. And John is a name that's mentioned many times in the Bible. But John that wrote this gospel is not John the Baptist. John the Baptist is quoted in the Bible, but he did not physically write a book. Tradition and most scholars believe that this author of John the Gospel is the Apostle John the Beloved, the same John that most likely wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. But John the Baptist was the one that announced that Jesus was here, kind of like a host at an event. No one comes to see the MC, right? He introduces the main character. Ladies and gentlemen, the man that needs no introduction, Jesus Christ. That's who John was. He had this huge following, and he preached that it was time to repent. But he didn't point towards himself. He pointed towards the coming Messiah. By now, Jesus is 30 years old, and he starts his earthly ministry. And John the Baptist said this about him in John 1, 29. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. And John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is saying, hey, look, remember the tabernacle, that temporary place where God's presence dwelled. Remember the temple, that place that was solidified where I would meet, uh, God would meet you at. 
And John says, remember the priest, remember the lambs that were slain for your sin, and remember how many times God forgave you over and over again, and yet you still ran back to idols and sin. Remember how we thought our way was better than God's way. Well, Jesus is here to fix all that and to bring it all to completion. We couldn't get to God's presence. We kept failing. So God's presence came to us. And the hero is here. And he will save us. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. God's temple came to us. Then Jesus picked 12 young men between the ages of 16 and 30, to be his disciples. They weren't royals, they weren't rich, they weren't important. They were simply just people that were ready to follow him. And then they set off to change the world forever. And through Jesus, everything that is broken by sin can be put back together. Jesus, through his life on earth, proved that he had power over disease. He healed the lepers. He proved that he had power over shame and he made friends with prostitutes and forgave their sin. He proved that he had power over guilt and he called people like Zacchaeus and Matthew who had defrauded their own uh, poverty-stricken people. And he called them and they followed him and they changed drastically and paid back their debts that they had stolen from people. He proved he had power over death by raising people back to life. And Jesus showed us through his life that the effects of sin don't stand a chance against him. He had power over all creation. The ability to multiply a little boy's lunch, to turn water to wine, to walk on water, and to calm the waves and the storm. But many people that were waiting on this Messiah, they missed him. They were looking for a king with a crown on not a servant who would wash people's feet. And people are still confused and still miss Jesus today and still mischaracterize Jesus today and do things in the name of Jesus and miss him completely. They thought they were looking for a king. They thought they were looking for a political win, but Jesus wasn't interested in politics or overthrowing governments. They thought they were looking for economic help, but Jesus pushed them to let go of this material world and instead lay up treasures in heaven. They were looking for a Messiah to fight their enemies, and Jesus showed them that their real enemy was not the Romans, but the world, their own flesh, and the devil. The lust of their own flesh, the covetousness of their own eyes, and the pride of their own life. See, they thought they were waiting for a Messiah, but really they were waiting for someone to save them their way. And I think we still get confused about that. John 1, 11 says, He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. It makes you wonder sometimes how many of us and how many Christians in, in America would follow Jesus if Jesus came today? How many of us would be confused about what he really was about? How many of us would be willing to follow him when it meant loving our enemies and washing people's feet and forgiving people and not speaking up when you're being innocently accused? He was despised and rejected by his own people. 
Would Jesus be despised and rejected by his own people today? The devil himself comes to Jesus while he's in the desert fasting, and this villain tries to derail the story by tempting Jesus with every sin he came to free us from. This time he doesn't tempt with fruit, but instead with bread to turn this rock into bread. But Jesus resisted the devil with scripture, and the devil flees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the political and religious leaders of the day. They were threatened by Jesus' message. This new covenant that he came to bring scared them. They liked the old way. They ran the temple system. They benefited financially from it. This was the way they were able to control the people. And when Jesus was not interested in bowing to their will, but rather bowing to the will of the Father, they set out to remove Jesus from the picture. Over the course of Jesus' life, many people had followed him and listened to his words. But he also had many people leave him, unwilling to follow him anymore. But his disciples, they believed. And yes, they were sometimes confused by his words, but they hung on everyone. Where Jesus was going, they were ready to follow. And the 12 stayed with him. Until one of them betrayed Jesus. And this is where the drama builds through a crescendo. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. And Judas works together with those religious elite to eliminate their Jesus problem. The Bible tells us that the villain Satan was involved in this uh, right in the middle of it. He wants to defeat the Messiah. Satan wants to steal all the worship that he can from God. But they played into God's hand. This was the mission all along. Then an instant Jesus would die in the place of all of us guilty people. He would defeat sin and death and the grave once and for all. But just because it was always the plan doesn't mean it was easy. Jesus would stand innocently in front of the crowd and be declared a criminal. He would feel the shame of being beaten and whipped and mocked and dressed up like a cheap king and spit on. They wanted to embarrass anyone who thought that this Jesus was going to change something. Couldn't even save himself. How could he possibly save you? He was then made to carry the instrument of his own death up a mountain. Naked, his hands and feet were brutally nailed to a tree. His side was pierced with a spear. And the Lamb of God died. And once again, there was silence. For three days, God had been audibly speaking on this earth for 30-some years, and he was louder and evident uh, than he ever was before, but then darkness and silence, and it looked like the end. His followers scattered, worried that they were the next to suffer this grotesque Roman crucifixion. Peter denied him. Thomas gave up hope. They were crushed, and the dreams of something new were finished. The rescue plan had failed. Death, darkness, quiet. 
This time not for 400 years, but for three days. And then God broke through the silence again, even louder than before. Matthew 24, 1 says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb where they had laid him, taking the spice that had, they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day? Rise. Jesus not only had control over the consequences of sin and guilt and shame and disease and ultimately death, he was in control over his own death. He raised himself back to life. He had victory over the grave once and for all. And this whole story, Adam, Noah, Moses, Abraham, all of it was building up to this moment when God would bridge the gap that was created by sin once and for all. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason that we have hope today. This is the reason that we have faith in the midst of dark times, in the midst of hopelessness. This is the good news that what was broken in Eden is fixed on Calvary. Thanks be to God. This is the Bible. This is the story, the good news, the gospel, the hope that our world needs to hear. This is Jesus. Fall in love with it. Because our story is intertwined in his story. This is the only reason we stand today with any type of hope. is because of Jesus. The Old Testament built towards it. The beginning of the New Testament tells us the answer. We have hope today. Let us fall in love with this story. Let us fall in love with God's word. And yes, there'll be times where you'll get lost in the weeds and lists of names, but never forget the overarching story, the love letter that we hold in our hands called the Bible. Let us fall in love with Jesus. Let us fall in love with his word because his story is our story. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, Let's take a minute right now. Thank God for the hope that we have in the gospel. I honestly don't even know how people wake up and put their feet on the floor without this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This good news. Let this gospel rush over your entire heart. 
And if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only means for you to get to God, decide today, right now in this moment, call out to God. He's holding this gift out to you called salvation, redemption. Words aren't important. Call out to God right now with your heart. Admit you're a sinner in need of a savior. Put your faith in him and him alone is the only means of your salvation. Let go of all your good deeds and all that you've done and accept the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. If you've already made that choice and that decision, never get over it. Never get past it. Never get bored with it. This is the story of history. This is what it's all about. Let us fall deeper in love with the gospel. Deeper in love with his word. Let's get excited to tell somebody about it. To tell them about the forgiveness and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's shout it louder than we ever had before. Sure, I know that there's people out there that would tell you to be quiet because of whatever reason. But it's too awesome of a story not to tell. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, thank you for this hope that we have in you. And even when things are scary and things are uh, hard, we're covered in anxiety and grief and pain, that we have hope. And even when we fa face death and we face the fear of the unknown, that we know that you have broken the chains of sin and death and you have the victory. And if we would place our faith in you, then we are victors today as well. God, help us fall in love with your word. Thank you for the greatest story ever, God. Thank you for the gospel. 